It's September here at the Only You Podcast, so September actually wraps up our second season of the Only You, and I want to really give you a heartful send-off because you guys have made this possible for me. I didn't realize that I had any kind of talent or ability until I stepped out of my norm and put myself out there. I was so scared many times that I gave my podcast out to people I worked with. I would come home and I would edit, I would re-listen, and I would get scared that people were judging me and thinking ill about me, but that's called spotlighting. And that's a terrible thing sometimes that we do to ourselves, and that's something I suffer from too. And today I'm going to share with you a book by Dr. Carl Jung called Psychological Types. And this book was published in 1921 by Dr. Jung. And it goes on to talk to you about so many different aspects of the human mind and many psychologists have piggybacked off this theory and I want to read to you a little bit about some people that I've learned along the way that are also very um, much famous in the psychology world and that's um, Catherine Cook Briggs was captivated by Jung's theory of psychological types however she recognized that the theory as Jung explained it was too diffuse and complex for used by regular people, she therefore set out to convey Young's ideas in a simple way so that anyone would be able to recognize personality types in action in every single day. She felt passionately that through understanding personality types, people would be better able to use their own strengths and appreciate the diverse gifts of others. And Catherine's work was picked up by her daughter, Isabella Briggs Myers, who became interested in the theory as a way to help the war effort during World War II. So that tells you, you know, when he, this book was printed in 1921, and I mean, obviously, 1941 to 1945 was World War II, so 20 years later, um, these two ladies invented something very cool. And they actually, they didn't invent it, they just clarified it and added a little bit to it to make it more understandable in layman's terms for us. Isabel clarified the theory her mother had developed and used it as the basis of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, a psychological assessment designed to sort people into one of 16 personality types. She created detailed description of each of the 16 types and explored applications, her theory in academics, business, and personal development. And a lot of companies in the United States use, you know, the Meyer and Briggs uh, indicator to um, sort through their employees and figure out who's going to be working well together and if they're a team player or if they work better by themselves. And thanks to artificial intelligence, that's also being uh, possible because now these systems are being, you know, created through programming computers and things that you can take a test online with the Meyer Briggs indicator system and find out what personality type you are. The, and the Meyer Briggs system actually describes a person's personality through four opposing personality functions, um, variously known as dichotomies. And dichotomies, um, if, if you're not sure what dichotomies are, there's like two. It's um, pretty much would be like, um, I don't know how to explain it really. It's like rich, poor, urban, rural, white, black. Those are dichotomies. They're like very similar, but opposing. Um, so variously known as dichotomies, preferences, or scales, the first three preferences are based on the writings of Young. Catherine Cook Briggs added the final preference, judging versus perceiving based on her own observations. So, you know, these are great minds and you can have a great mind too. You just got to read and catch up. You got a hundred years of catching up to do, honestly, and I'm there. I've, I've actually went through the first 50 years and I've started on the latter part of a hundred years of psychology. There's so much more I need to know and so much more I want to share with you guys. So in this third season coming up, the Only You podcast should be exploding on the scene with great new information. So here's one theory that we know about extroversion and introversion. How do you gain energy? Question mark. Extroverts like to be with others and gain energy from people and the environment. Introverts gain energy from alone time and need periods of quiet reflection throughout the day. Sensing versus intuition. How do you collect information? Question mark. Sensors gather facts from their immediate environment and rely on the things they can see, feel, and hear. Intuitives look more at the overall context 
and think about patterns, meaning and connections. Thinking versus feeling. How do you make decisions? Question mark. Thinkers look for the logically correct solution, whereas feelers make decisions based on their emotions, values, and the needs of others. Judging versus perceiving. How do you organize your environment? Judgers prefer structure and like things to be clearly regulated, whereas perceivers like things to be open and flexible and are reluctant to commit themselves. And thank you guys for listening, and hopefully you'll run out there and kind of check out that, you know, the Meyer-Briggs indicator system, and hopefully you might learn a little bit from that and be able to tell, is your partner made for you? You know, are you meant to be together, and is this something that you want to continue to do? And I had told you earlier about the four old temperaments, and that's kind of where this all started at, and that's the sanguine, chloric, melancholic, and phlegmic. So those are important to know as well. Um, and if you guys um, want to learn more about modern psychology, you know, get online and Google this stuff. Um, the four ancient fundamental types of personalities developed by the Greco-Arabic system of medicine, and they are sanguine, phlegmic, chloric and melancholic which i just told you about you know don't bother learning the etymology of those words which it don't hurt because the more we understand the power behind words the more we understand what we're really talking about and our comprehension levels go way up you know like primary colors these temperaments can be mixed with others which mathematically creates 12 different predominant secondary mixed type personalities Add the four primary types, and there are 16 together. And that's how you make 16 of, you know, the Briggs-Meyer system. So, you know, like when it comes to falling in love and marriage, most people believe that their partner's personality does matter. Of course it does. You know, all of And, you know, I do believe this with love. You know, our first love is meant for us to lose it. We lose it because we're childish careless and ignorant and this is true because i've i've encountered this in my life our second love destroys us it tears us down as a human being completely they cheat on us they steal from us they throw us away and they're careless with our hearts and then comes the third love the most powerful of all because where two or more gathered i am in the midst and that's why the third love is the love of a lifetime. So, if you know the Meyer-Briggs system, I think your marriage and your relationships will be so much more pure. Just for the fact that you'll understand each other that much more and realize some people's attitudes or behaviors are actually explainable and that you don't have to guess anymore. Hopefully you guys will enjoy Psychological Types by Dr. Carl Young. This will be wrapping up our second season here at the Only You Podcast. We've hit 20,000 listens. And in this here coming third season, it's going to be the best season we've had yet. I'm going to do interviews this season. You're going to learn so much more about the psychology world and other people out there doing certain things that I'm doing too. And thank you guys again for listening. Thank you for following me and thank you for sharing me. Today we're going to be going over some great stuff. The 16 different personality types. And that's what I'm so excited about because four of those base personality types are the sanine, which is air, the chloric for fire, the melancholic for earth, and the flemic for water. And I'll teach you more about that stuff later on the podcast, but we're going to learn about complexes too that come from having these different personality traits. And we're going to learn about the four behavior types. And hopefully some of us can cultivate who we're really dealing with in our relationships and who our kids really are. Because doing this podcast, I've really gotten to learn how my kids are, who they are, and what they think. And I've learned all about their body languages. And I really have become intuitive into what my kids are going to be doing. And my uh, friends, as well as my family members, I've been able to understand them so much more and why they act the way they do and why certain people in my history of my family did things that they did. And this podcast is about books, but it's also about building 
yourself into someone who is understanding of what's going on in the world around you with, you know, understanding neurochemical transmission, neural pathways, behavior types, you know, mindsets, fixed mindsets, you know, growth mindsets, and all that great stuff that I've been telling you about, you know, fixed attachment styles, secure attachment styles. Hopefully this coming up third season of the Only You podcast will be the best yet. And I know I'm going to show up and I'm going to show out and put you guys first, get you the best information that I can find and hopefully build something that all of you will be proud of to share me and be able to go out there and just give me five stars if you want to or one star or whatever you feel like. Because anybody interacting in my podcast, please just know that if you're my hater, I love you and I appreciate you and that whatever happened, it's just life. It's just circumstances. You don't have to continue hating me. Just move on. It's all good. I have. I don't hold on to anything, you guys. I really don't. And thank you guys for following me and sharing me again. And this is going to be the the end of my second season here at the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Lo Jackson. I've been doing this. I've been showing up. I've been showing out. And hopefully you know that I care about you. And I've been trying to kind of incorporate some great learning tools here and i did a lot of different things this season because i'm trying to get this podcast right i'm trying to adjust the format to where you guys are really grasping what i'm telling you and that i'm making sense and that i'm incorporating my other podcasts into this podcast and that you guys are going back and checking out those podcasts as well because that's where it all started was in the beginning of this season really for me and that my format came through and this next season is going to be even better you guys with the interviews and the book writers and stuff that I got going on and hopefully you'll show up and show out just like you do every day in your lives out there keep on smiling it makes everything better and it makes the world change thank you for listening to the only you podcast and your boy Lo Jackson enjoy The difference between depression and sadness is that sadness is just from happenstance. Whatever happened or didn't happen for you, or grief, or whatever it is, depression is your body saying, fuck you, I don't want to be this character anymore. I don't want to hold up to this avatar that you created, and the world is just too much for me. Thank you, Mr. Jim Carrey, for that wonderful insight to how the human mind really works let's check out psychological types by the stunning psychologist psychiatrist philosopher writer friend brother dr amazing carl young and here is the introduction this book is the fruit of almost 20 years of work in the field of practical psychology it emerged gradually in my thoughts Firstly, from countless impressions and experiences in psychiatric and neurological practice, as well as from dealing with people of all social classes, then from my personal confrontation with friends and enemies, and finally from the criticism of my own psychological characteristics. I decided not to burden the reader with the causality, but I wanted to link my thoughts abstracted from experience historically and terminologically to the existing knowledge. I undertook this undertaking less out of a need for historical justice than with the intention to bring the experiences of the medical specialist from the narrow field into a more general context. In context that also enable educated lay people to benefit from the experience of a specialist area, I would never have dared to make this affiliation, which could easily be misunderstood as an intervention into other areas. If I were not convinced that the psychological points of view presented in this book are of general importance and applicability, and therefore better in a general context rather than being left in the form of a scientific hypothesis. The type problem in biography. As one might almost expect, the field of biography also makes its contribution to the problem of psychological types. It is the scientific method of Wilhelm Ustwald. It is thanks to the comparison of a number of bi- biographs of outstanding natural scientists that a typical psychological contrast has emerged, which Ostwald describes 
as the classical and the romantic type. And I want to share with you that Wilhelm Ostwald was a Baltic chemist and philosopher. He studied the speeds of numerous chemical reactions. And those chemical reactions that he studied actually have led into um, people like Dr. Caroline Leaf, who, you know, her specialty is neuroplasticity and neurochemical transmission. And without Ustwald, we wouldn't know that there was transfer of, you know, energies between cells and we wouldn't be so developed as we are now today. And actually, Ustwald won the Nobel Peace Prize for chemistry in 1909. While the first says Ustwald is characterized by the all-around perfection of every single achievement, but at the same time, by withdrawn nature and a low personal impact on those around him, the romantic is noticeable by the opposite characteristics, not only the perfection of individual work, but also the diversity and striking originality of numerous quickly successive achievements is characteristic of him, and he tends to have a direct and strong influence on his contemporaries. And it should be emphasized that the mental speed of reaction is decisive for whether the explorers belong to one type or the other. Researchers with very high reaction speeds are romantics. Those with slower ones are classics. The classics, a slow mode of production and sometimes produces the ripest fruits of its spirit relatively late. According to Oswald, a characteristic of the classical type that is never missing is the absolute need to appear free of error to the public. The classical type is granted an even more extensive, more thorough writing as a replacement for the lack of personal impact. However, there also seem to be limits to this effect, as can be seen from the following cases mentioned by Ostwald and Hemholz. Du Bois writes, which I told you about Paul Du Bois in my last podcast. He lived in Switzerland at the same time as Carl Jung, and they actually worked together. And I told you that he had actually wrote a book, and you know he had written a commentary also on some of uh Paul Du Bois's work, uh, Dr. Young did. And thank you guys for listening, and hopefully you're enjoying Psychological Types by Dr. Carl Young. And I do want to say that this has been a great read, and hopefully you're learning a little bit from it. There's so much more to this than what I'm telling you, but I'm getting there, so bear with me. And thank you guys for tuning in and listening, and thank you for sharing me. I do appreciate it. Ostwald comments, to that he doesn't even bother asking about the reader because he writes for himself in the style of the classic so that the presentation appears flawless to him and not to others. What Du Bois writes in the same letter to Helmholtz is characteristic. I read through your treatise and the excerpt of a few times without understanding what you actually did had and how you did it. Finally, I intervented, I intervented, I invented your method myself. And now, I only gradually understand your presentation. This case is the life of the classic type who rarely or never succeeds in igniting similar souls to his own. A very typical occurrence and shows that the effect attributed to it by the writing probably comes mainly from the fact that it usually only works posthumously. When it is rediscovered from his writings, as was the case with Robert Mayer, his writings also often seem to lack a convincing, stimulating, immediately personal impact because writing is, after all, just a personal and expression as a conversation or a lecture. But in reality, you guys, writing is someone's perspective and everybody's going to always have a different perspective. Some may have similar perspectives, but usually none are totally the same. The effect of classic conveyed through the writing is baseless on the externally stimulating qualities of his writing that on the fact that the writing is ultimately the thing that remains of him from which one can subsequently reconstruct what the man's achievement was 
For it seems to be a fact that also emerges from Oswald's description that the classic rarely communicates what he does and how he does it, but rather what he has achieved regardless of the fact that his audience has no idea of his path. It seems that for the classic, the way Oswald compares his two types to the four old temperaments. And I want to share with you, the four old temperaments are actually sangine, which is um, represents air, chloric, which represents fire, melancholic, which represents the earth, and phlegmic, which represents the water. Sangine people are outgoing extroverts, and they're kind and nice, you know, nice, charming. Chloric people are angry. They are dominant, and they are assertive. They are successful normally, and these people tend to have the fixed mindset that I had told you about in other podcasts to where I have to do this, I must do this, i got to keep going, I can't stop, i got to be right, i got to be on target, i got to be, you know, and they're always constantly having that fixed mindset of a goal in mind, which a lot of people get far. Look at Lee Iacocca when he took over Chrysler back in 72. He turned that company upside down for the better, and then at, at the in the 90s, he like literally almost tanked the whole entire company because he had a fixed mindset and he couldn't let go of, you know, the him being always out in the open. Like he was that person of, oh, look at me, look at me, kind of. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And I do want to say that like Flemic people are stubborn and lazy, but 20 to 60% of temperament is determined by your genes. So it's actually passed on to you. And I find that kind of cool. So um, that's a little bit about the four old temperaments, which Dr. Carl Jung is talking about right now and psychological types. And psychological types is going to go into some other wonderful things that I'm going to teach you guys about here in a second too. So hopefully you're enjoying this and hopefully you're learning something as well as I am because this is like the third time I've read through this, but I'm, I'm, I find this stuff to be so fascinating and interesting that a man could actually put this together and realize that we're all different and unique in our own certain ways, but we have a lot of things in common. But then again, do we? Oswald compares his two types to the four old temperaments, which I just told you about, namely with regard to the particularity of the slow and rapid reaction, which seemed fundamental to him. The slow reaction corresponds to the flemic and melancholic temperaments. The quick reaction to the sangine and the chloric temperament, he considers the sangine and phlegmatic types to be the normal middle types, while the chloratic and melancholic types appear to him as a pathological exaggeration of the basic characters. That's kind of interesting, you know, for him to actually say that, because, I mean, for a psychologist to actually write something like that in a book, that's a big deal, you know, because it's that... It sticks with time forever. In one of his surveys and biographies of the Humphrey Davy and Libig, on the other hand, and Robert Mayer and Faraday, on the other, it is actually easy to see that the former were the same time pronounced romantics and the singing chloratic, while the latter were equally clearly classics, Flemic and melancholic. Ostwald's considerations seemed quite convincing to me because the four old temperaments were most likely constructed according to the same empirical principle after Ostwald also established the classic, excuse me, the classical and the romantic types. The four temperaments are obvious distinctions from the point of view of effectively or the perspective. You guys remember that this is somebody's perspective. So it can easily be piggybacked off of by other psychologists and philosophers and people of, you know, higher thinking. The effective reactions that emerge, however, from a psychological point of view this classification is superficial. She judges solely based on an external appearance. We know a lot of people out there that do this. You know, they judge you know solely based on external appearances, and that's not good because usually those relationships tend to end horribly. <laughs> According to this old classification, a person who outwardly behaves calmly and inconspicuously belongs to the Flemic temperament. He is considered Flemic and is therefore classified among the Flems. In reality, however, it can be the case that he is anything but a Flemic person, but even a sensitive, even passionate nature 
in which the emotion runs entirely inward and the strongest inner excitement is expressed through the greatest external calm. And because, you know, you guys, a lot of quiet people actually have the loudest minds. And we need to remember that when we're dealing with people. The Jordan bears this fact, excuse me, factical type conception calculation. She does not judge based on superficial impressions, but rather based on a deeper understanding of human nature. Oswald's fundamental disguising feature, like the old temperament classification, is based on external impressions. His romantic type is characterized by the fact that he reacts quickly to the outside world. The classic type perhaps reacts just as quickly, but inwardly. Hence, introvert-extrovert. If you go through Oswald's biographies, you can easily see the romantic type corresponds to the extrovert and the classic type responds to the introvert. So, you guys, who in your life out there is an introvert and an extrovert? And how are these relationships causing, you know, 80% of your outputs that are wonderful, amazing, and they are just building your life up? You know, that's the relationships that you want. You know, that relationship that you have with your son or daughter or that relationship that you have with that parent that's just, you guys are like on the same level, you know? That's what we're working towards in life is just being wonderful people to each other. Reacting outwardly is characteristic of the extrovert, just as reacting inwardly is characteristic of the introvert. Reacting outwardly is characteristic of the extrovert, just as reacting inwardly is characteristic of the introvert. The extrovert has no particular difficulty in his personal expression. He makes his presence known almost involuntary because his whole nature strives to transfer himself to the object. It easily communicates itself to the environment and necessarily in a form that is comprehensible to the environment and therefore acceptable. That's why I say a lot about environment, environmental issues. If you are having troubles, leave the environment, go to a new environment, things will change. And thank you again for listening. When a man can say of his states and actions... As I am, so I act. He can be at one with himself, and he can accept responsibility for himself, even though he struggles against it. So, do you believe you're a romantic? Or do you think you're a classic? Do you believe that you're chloratic? Or you're melancholic? From a biological perspective, the relationship between subject and object is always an adaptive relationship and that every relationship between subject and object presupposes modifying effects of one on the other. These modifications constitute the adaption, the typical attitudes toward the object. Therefore, adaption processes, nature knows two fundamentally different ways of adapting and thereby enabling the continued existence of living organisms. One way is to increase fertility, with relatively low defense strength and lifespan of the individual individual the other way is to equip the individual with a variety of means of self-preservation with relatively low fertility this biological contrast seems to me to be not just the analog but also the general basis of our two psychological modes of adaption here i would like to limit myself to a general note the introvert's tendency, on the other hand, is to defend oneself against external demands to refrain from spending as much energy as possible that relates directly to the object, but to create the most secure and powerful position possible for oneself. And I want to share with you guys, too, I came across something very interesting recently that has to do with what we're talking about, and that's uh, the reminiscence bump. Humans have a preference of recalling memories from early adulthood due to the high emotional intensity, primarily from the major decisions of the time that were made, like marriage, college, your first home, your first heartbreak, you know, and memories from this time are easily remembered. Um, they are linked to self-identity, and this um, stuff actually forms our attitudes, our beliefs, and our lifelong goals. And 
some people don't realize that they like they're reminiscing so much that they actually become depressed because they're living in the past and that's kind of what depression's about is like you're living too much in your past and reminiscing about things that aren't anymore and i wanted to ask you guys this since we're learning about you know the psychological types um can you solve people's problems better and easier than your own I, I do this all the time i find myself always giving out advice and sometimes people that know me they're like well you know i don't want to take advice from you 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 can't even solve your own problems but in reality according to research the answer is yes you can solve people's problems better and easier than your own and this is known as solomon's paradox People, regardless of age, are more readily to think rationally and logically about someone else's problems or dilemmas, shortcomings, rather than their own. So the next time this happens to you, step back, you know, so once you start, like, thinking about somebody else's problems and fixing them and then, like, realizing that you're not doing that to yourself, you know, you got you to take a step back and um, use your reasoning and logic skills to try to pretend you're an outsider looking in as a third person. So step back, use your reasoning and logic skills to try to pretend you're an outsider looking in at the you know, as a third person perspective. It's a proven fact, everyone. The best decision makers are those who can use the third person perspective for decision making because you all also you literally are using Solomon's paradox, but almost like reverse psychology and doing it to yourself when you use reasoning and logic. Think about the Persians. The Persians had a method of decision-making that is interesting, but it really does make sense because I know somebody else out there that did this. They, they would get drunk the night before and then, you know, they would discuss a major decision the following day. Then the next day, the master of the house would resubmit what all the masters had decided the night before and went over. They would admit it into law and they would make it legit. And that's what they did many, many times. They got drunk, discussed it, then the next day and acted it into law. And that was the Persians. Another guy... A lawyer in Texas named Michael David Weiss, I had spoke about him in another podcast of mine, I think. He actually did the same thing. He would get all coked up and drunk the night before a big case. He would get down into his, you know, his shorts and he would debate the whole thing, the whole case in front of like five friends at an after hours party every night. Well, he wound up becoming one of the greatest lawyers down there. He died of a coke-induced heart attack once he beat the U.S. government in the case of the Safety Point Needle. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And hopefully you've enjoyed learning about Solomon's Paradox. And um, there are some other things I want to get to, but back to Psychological Types by Carl Jung. I, th I hope you're enjoying this. I am. The fact that um, occasionally children in the first years of life clearly show the typical attitude leads to the assumption that it can in no way be the struggle for existence. As it is generally understood, the force is one to adopt a certain attitude. However, one could object and with valid reasons that the Underage child and even the infant also has to make a psychological adjustment of an unconscious nature and that the particularity of the mother's influences in particular leads to specific reactions in the child. This argument can be based on undoubted facts but is invalidated by the mention of the equally undoubted fact that two children of the same mother can have the opposite type from an early age without even the slightest evidence of a change in the mother's attitude. Although I understand no circumstances want to underestimate the almost incalculable importance of parental influences, this experience nevertheless leads to the conclusion that the divisive factor is to be found in the child's disposition.
It is probably ultimately due to the individual disposition that when the external conditions are as similar as possible, one child has this and that, others adopt that type. Of course, I only have those cases in mind that are under normal conditions. Under abnormal conditions, where there are extreme and therefore abnormal attitudes in mothers, a relatively similar attitude also can be forced on the child, violating their individual disposition. And like I said before, you know, a lot of times the person who domesticates a child is actually the opposition to the t child's real identity. And that comes from me. That is not from any education. Those words are my own. And that is from my own upbringing because I know it's true. I was able to dissect it early on and I was able to aware, be aware of it. I just always played stupid and allowed things to go on that I probably shouldn't have. And I wanna say that the extrovert, extroverted type is for reasons of clarity and clarity of um, presentation, it is necessary to distinguish between the psychology of the conscious and unconscious when describing this and the following types. We therefore turn first to the description of the phenomena of consciousness. And that's kind of really what the psychological types are about. It's about the conscious and the unconscious. A complex is an unconscious organized set of memories, association, fantasies, exceptions, and behavior patterns or tendencies around a core element which is accompanied by strong emotions. So many people suffer from inferiority complex. I'm sure everyone's heard of that one. But complexes interfere with intentions of the will and they disturb the conscious performance. Complexes behave like independent beings. I want to share with you inferiority complex, feeling that you are not good enough in life. And many of us out there are suffering from this at this very moment. Every day, some of us are tr having trouble putting our feet flat on the floor and even standing up out of bed. You know, I have a neighbor who actually came over not long ago and told me, that her husband had died. It was unfortunate. I had no idea he was gone. I, I had no idea, but she told me she was struggling to get out of bed every day. That's never left my mind because here I am trying to reach somebody, teach somebody and help somebody with these books and all this information. And I can't even help my neighbor. It used to be that's all we cared about was our neighbors because we actually believed in a book that a lot of people are having issues with these days. So here's what inferiority complex is. You know, we, we all have off days where we don't feel as if we are achieving everything we should be. Those people who continually feel like this, however, suffer from an inferiority complex. This person will think that they are not successful compared to others and may try to overachieve to compensate for these unhealthy feelings. They cannot accept compliments and tend to not care for their own needs, believing that they are not worth the effort. Person, please know that you are. And please know that your own worst enemy is sometimes yourself. And in life, as we age, and our neural pathways become corroded and conformed, we tend to turn on ourselves and become our own worst enemies at times. Another complex is superiority complex, a person that believes they are better than everyone else. The opposite of an inferiority complex, this person believes that they are superior to everything and everyone, which is not true. They think they are better than others and their peer groups and superiors. And if they do design to spend time with you, it will only be for strategic reasons. That's how Eric Byrne and my podcast Games People Play came up with 
all the different ideas of adult, adult, parent, adult, child, adult, stuff like that. But it's definitely from these complexes is where he piggybacked off of and got that. Thank you guys for listening to The Only Use, your boy Lo Jackson. Here's one called Martyr Complex. This person needs sympathy, attention by suffering. The martyr will always put others first to the detriment of their own health and well-being. That's like the dad who, you know, winds up pretty much in the hospital because all he does is care about his family. All he does is go to work and come home. And all he does is worry that if he something happens to him, everything's going to fall through. In reality, he literally pretty much self-destructs and he winds up in the hospital causing because he has the martyr syndrome, you know, the martyr complex. And this is in order to receive the much required attention and care they have to have. If they don't get what they desire, they can resort to self-harming and deep depression. It can also be a way for uh, passive aggressive behaviors. And see the guy that's going to work and doing all that stuff, he was trying to really get his wife's attention. She wasn't paying attention to him. So he wound up having to end up in the hospital. So then he would come to her and then and a lot of people do this every single day. That's going on right now, I promise you. There's somebody in the hospital right now because they have the martyr complex. I wish I had a martyr complex. Maybe I... <laughs> no, I don't. I'm kidding. Um, the, here's another one. Uh, persecution complex, which is an irrational fear. You are being ill-treated. And sometimes I suffer from this because of all of the past childhood traumas and abuses that have happened along the way when I was young. And I had, I couldn't control what other people did. And it took me a long time. You know, my mom used to say, I never knew what to do for you. Well, it took me a long time to be able to know what to do for myself and to love myself enough to get help and seek professional help that I could actually turn around now and love somebody the way they need to be loved and cultivate that relationship on a level that is what somebody expects. Dominance, inspiring, stable, compliant. The DISC model of behavior was first proposed in 1928 by William Moulton Marston. A physiological psychologist in his book, Emotions of Normal People, Marston, made a deliberate decision to focus only on the psychological phenomena that were directly observable and measurable through objective means. From his research, Marston theorized that the behavioral expression of emotions could be categorized into four primary types stemming from the person's perceptions of self in relationship to their environment. These four types were labeled by Marston what? dominance, inspiring, steadfast or stable, and compliant. And that goes along with Dr. Young's original theory of the four behavior types of the Sangine, Chloratic, Flemic, and Melancholic. And he didn't invent those. He just piggybacked off them and realized that they were true. Just like we learned with uh, Wellheimer earlier on in the podcast that, you know, he believed in the classical as opposed to the romantic behavior types. And Dr. Young piggybacked off of those things. So the saying would be the intuitive person or the intuition, which is in the disc system, the I. And the chloratic person would be the dominant, the phlegmic would be the stable, and the melancholic would be the compliant. So, um, a dominant person would have, or, you know, a chloratic person would be, they're aggressive, they're ambitious, strong-willed, goal-oriented, pushy. The chloratic are great problem solvers. They also are huge pioneers in their field. They're decisive. They're innovators. They're impatient. They're controlling. The dominant one is convincing. And he's performance-oriented. This is your supervisor at work. This is the lead at your group meeting at night. You know, 
These are people in the workplace who their anger is a shot glass. They can explode instantly about nothing. It gets so wild and crazy that people talk about these people because they feel like it's almost as though their amygdala, their impulse part of their brain gets fired up instantly. And they are great timekeepers. They're speedy. Um, They are initiators. They're opinionated. They're straightforward. And they are independent and dominant people or the chloratic person tend to, you know, they like to make things happen to people. And sometimes they get off on when people have bad things happen to them and they'll laugh about it or it makes them feel good when somebody else is struggling. And that's the dominant type of person. And remember, their anger is like a shot glass. So the intuitive person or the person that is creative and uh, uses their intuition, and that's my number one color, is I'm an intuitive person. Or some would say I eat lots of vegetables, and I have a silicone personality because I eat tons of silicone. That's the shiny part on the outside of fruits and vegetables. And a lot of scientists theorize that you know silicone actually makes or breaks the energetic personality, which eh, it's kind of hard to believe. I'm sure it helps in certain aspects, but... The uh, saying from Dr. Carl Jung's um, psychological types is the in- intuition or the intuitive person. They're talkative. Hey, Lil Jackson, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> they're enthusiastic. They're persuasive. The saying is creative. They're optimistic. They're social. The inspiring person is spontaneous, expressive, charming, full of vitality. And they're self-centered. You know, because they don't realize they have so many thoughts going through their mind that they don't have time to think about other people and they are, they come off as self-centered. So, and, but they're sensitive. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. They're adaptable. They're inspiring. Um, and saying people have a need for all your attention. And a lot of times these are the relationship breakers of people who aren't feeling that they're getting every little bit of your Attention, so they cause issues in the relationship because they are feeling neglected. Um, The intuition person is very communicative, encouraging. They're flexible, open, and sociable. Very imaginative. And they're easygoing. And they can go in and out of different diverse diverse cultures and backgrounds, religions even. But these um, intuitive people... Or the saying, their negatives are they're manipulative, they're hot tempered, they're undisciplined, counteractive, and egotistic. And that is true. I suffer from not all those things are true. And you're not gonna have exactly every single one of these traits, but I would say if you got 13 out of the 20, you're pretty close. That's probably your number one color. And so we have the flemic, which is the stable or steadfast person. And this is the most noticeable behavior type in the whole entire world. There are more stable people in the world than any other behavior types. And a lot of times um, with like the intuitive people, they actually are borderline psychopaths. That's like Bill Clinton you know, JFK, Donald Trump, Richard Nixon, these guys were all borderline psychopaths, but they weren't psychopaths. And maybe they were, I'm, I wasn't there. I didn't know them, but I'm just telling you from all the books I've read and the things I've come across dealing with the disc system and the four behavior types, like Dr. Young talks about and, uh, psychological types. Um, the stable is patient. They're relaxed they're self-controlled, they're reliable, they're composed, they're loyal. And the flemic person is modest, you know. This is your school teacher. This is um, you know, your boss at the bank. They are understanding, lengthy, stable, prudent, discreet, supportive. And something great about a stable to an intuitive person is they are the best listeners out of all the behavior types. They're helpful, they are producers, they're persistent, they're reluctant, thoughtful, and one thing that they suffer from as a stable is 
they conceal their feelings a lot of times because stables will con- conceal their feelings because they don't want you to feel in- they don't want to make you feel any kind of way and they sure as hell don't want to feel any kind of way themselves so they choose to do nothing and these are the people that folks call lazy in the workplace oh he's lazy oh she's lazy but in reality they're just a stable and they don't want to make you feel anything and they don't want to feel anything themselves so they choose to do nothing which in turn blows up in their face and they're called lazy in which they're not they're least they're some of the least laziest people uh, but their negatives are they're stubborn they're uncertain and they're compliant and they're dependent and a lot of times they're awkward you know, I know a stable right now that she tells a joke in a social situation and nobody laughs. I always laugh because I know that's part of her green stable. Well, I call it a green. They, they, okay, so in the disc system in a lot of companies, they use this as leadership. And they, they color coordinate the disc system. Like red, um, the D is red, um, I is yellow, S is green, C is blue. So, and that's why if I say a green, blue, yellow, or red, that's what I'm talking about. Um, one of my first podcasts that I did was on the disc system, which was Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson. Run out there and get that one. That book changed my life. It made me understand my kids, my jobs, the people I come into contact with. And it made me realize all the situations from my past. None of that stuff was my fault. And, and I realized why people acted the way they did. I had an, uh, an electrical partner. He was a blue uh, well, he was a, um, a a melancholic type person or a compliant person. I'm an intuitive person, a saying I do not get along with compliant people. They're I'm outgoing. They're introverts completely for the most part. And that's the next one I'm going to tell you about is the compliant or the melancholic person or behavior type. They are conscious. They're systematic. They're distant. They're correct, and they're conventional. And they seem insecure. So the melancholic or the compliant type, they seem insecure because they have to make they have to have every single fact to every situation to make only one decision. And if they don't have all the facts, they will refuse to make that decision because they don't feel um, secure. They don't have all the facts, so they can't feel secure on making that decision. And these people will be your CEOs, your CFOs. These are your Bill Gates, Warren Buffetts. Um, you know, they're analytical. They're perfectionists. You know, the melancholic needs time. They need time to make those decisions because they have to have all the facts. These um, compliant people um, are often called OCD, or and they're on the spectrum because. OCD, you know, isn't a joke. It's real. And a lot of times it's because of their behavior type is why they're OCD. And they will, they love Excel spreadsheets. They love one, two, three, ABC. And they love the way the numbers look on those pages. And they could go through the numbers for hours and hours looking for the facts. And that is so much fun to them. Like my partner that I was telling you all that was a blue, he went to he went to every electrical cabinet and made ABC one two three and put every single little component in that electrical cabinet on an Excel spreadsheet, and I was just blown away at the ingenuity and the intelligence level in this guy. Well, needless to say, two months later he was my boss, and I'm not that's not a joke. Um, compliant people are reflecting; they're methodical; they seek the facts. Um, they're quality oriented. They scrutinize. They they follow rules at all times. They're very logical people. They question everything. Everything, and they're meticulous, reflecting, and they are reserved. And um, <clears throat> compliant people's anger is a barrelful. So when they get angry and it boils over, things they go to jail. You know, you you read about them on the news or you see them, you know, going wild. And it's unfortunate because like a um a stable person, like a flimic person, their anger level is a gallonful. And a chloratic person, their anger is a glassful. And the dominant oh, excuse me, excuse me. The chloratic person is a shot glass. And the sanguine and the intuitive person is a glassful. And you can have up to 
all four of the behavior types in your behavior, but there will be one that just sticks out over all of them. And you'll know that's you. That's why I'm an, I'm an intuitive person. I can talk to any kind of stranger. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religion you are. I care about what you know and who you are and where you're from and what you learned in this life and where you're going. I can, you, every time you come into contact with somebody, your neuroplasticity changes with a smile, with an eye contact. The emotions inside of your soul literally change your genetic makeup every time you meet somebody. That's how wonderful the human body and mind really is. And that's why I'm telling you guys about this stuff. And the negative things about the compliant person is that they're critical, they're indecisive, they're narrow-minded, fastidious, and moralizing. And a lot of people can't deal with that because, you know, for an intuitive person, we live on creativity, a spurt of the moment. You know, we live on energy. These guys live on logic, um, calmness, seriousness. And I would say the two, the first two, the... Uh, Chloratic and the sanine, that would be your extroverts personalities. And the phlegmic and the melancholic would be your introverts. And, you know, the uh, blue and a the red, they actually get along pretty well. They're, uh, they're complementary of each other. Um, uh, red and yellow, they get along great too because a lot of times yellows exert certain personality traits uh, excuse me, if I could talk, certain personality traits of the dominant person, so they get along well. A red and a green, they get along nothing at all, a dominant and a stable. They have nothing in common. They don't like each other, and I know this because I know two people in my life right now that I've watched it. They, they literally talk about each other, and they haven't even seen each other in 10 years, and they have nothing nice to say about one another, and they only met one time, and that's the truth, and that's when you know that these behavior types are real is when I tell you stuff like that and you can literally, you know, look back in the past and realize, you know, moving forward, hey, I have those same thought processes about people I know, so it's got to be true. Green and blues get along really great, but the two that are the most loving, caring, and understanding and they get along the best out of all four behavior types are the inspire and the stable. <laughs> That was all about the four behavior types, the DIS system, and I want to dive right into the 16 different behavior types. Once you have decided which style you prefer on each of the four dichotomies, you use these four preferences to create a four-letter code which sums up your personality type. For example, someone with a preference for introversion, intuition, feeling and judgment would have the code INFJ. An intuition preference is signified with an N to avoid confusion with the introversion. There are 16 possible combinations or personality types. Many people find their type by taking a personality test. However, it is also possible to discover your personality type simply by studying the preferences and your own behaviors. So thank you guys for listening. And the first behavior type is the ENTJ, which is the commander, strategic leaders motivated to organize change. INTJ is the second one, the mastermind, analytical problem solver, eager to improve systems and processes. ENTP, the visionary, Inspired innovators seeking new solutions to challenging problems. INTP, the architect. Philosophical innovators fascinated by logical analysis. ENFJ, the teacher. Idealist organizers driven to do what is best for humanity. INFJ, the counselor. Creative nurturers driven by a strong sense of personal integrity. ENFP, the champion, people-centered create creators motivated by possibilities and potential. 
INFP, the healer, imaginative idealists guided by their own values and beliefs. ESTJ, the supervisor, hardworking traditionalist taking charge to get things done. ISTJ, the inspector, responsible organizers driven to create order out of chaos. ESFJ, the provider, conscious helpers dedicated to their duties to others. ISFJ, the protector, industrious caretakers loyal to the traditions and institutions. ESTP, the dynamo, energetic thrill seekers ready to push boundaries and dive into action. ISTP, the craft person, observant troubleshooters solving practical problems. ESFP, the entertainer, vivacious entertainers loving life and charming those around them. ISFP, the composer, gentle caretakers enjoying the moment with low-key enthusiasm. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And that was just a little a little bit of the different personality types. I've found other ones I'd like to share with you too. So, I'll, and this that was the DIS system. Or excuse me, that was the Meyer Briggs system. Now I want to share with you like the Sayine and that stuff. So, and there's 16 different personalities of that type. And it goes Sayine Pure, Sayine Flemic, Sayine Chloratic, Sayine Melancholic, Phlegmatic Pure, Phlegmic Sayine, Phlegmic Chloratic, Phlegmic Melancholic, which is the ISFJ, Calic Pure, ISTJ, Chloratic Sayine, ESTP. So, you know, all these things go hand in hand. Chloratic Phlegmic, ENFJ, which the Chloratic Flemic, this is a person who is willing to stand in front of a tank and in the name of justice, freedom, and other cheesy words that protects the rights of the weak. They are great public speakers and are not afraid to speak their minds. Kind of cool, right? Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is wrapping up our second season, and hopefully you've enjoyed Dr. Carl Young. He is a great psycho- psychoanalysis, psychologist, philosopher, physiologist. He did so many different great works, and he worked with William James from America, and they actually collaborated on a book together. He's worked with you know, Paul Du Bois, the neuropathologist in Switzerland. They collaborated together. Like Dr. Young collaborated with everybody. And even though Sigmund Freud and he, you know, ended their friendship and really not, I mean, it was on professional terms, I'm assuming, but you you can only imagine what it was like back then when, you know. Dr. Freud actually, you know, he spent a lot of hard work on the things that he was proposing to have somebody, which he trained Carl Jung. They collaborated, they worked together, and Carl Jung wanted to oppose him to be something different, to make his own name, and he did. And he actually generated more, I think, in a psychological world than Freud did, which a lot of people today still use Freud's theory of, you know, Everything that happened to you up until this point is why you are the way you are. All the traumas that went on created the way you are, which I don't always believe that because once I tried to to deny the trauma, like Dr. Young says, it made me feel just so much better just realizing, man, these are just circumstances and situations. Not everything is detrimental, but a lot of these things lead to complexes. And, you know, we learned about um, complexes earlier. That stuff's scary. You know, what do you do when somebody you love, you know, has a inferiority complex or a superiority complex? It's hard to get along with people like that. What if they have a Madonna whore complex and thinks, oh, well, she's so good looking because she's so young and skinny, you know? Uh, no, oh, she's a whore because she's old and ugly now. Dude, no. People change and grow up and people age. That's a horrible complex to have. Or, you know, to have the God complex. That would be... I don't know. I just couldn't live with myself thinking that I had all these complexes. And, you know, there's a guilt complex. A a person that always blames things that go wrong on themselves. You know, that person is naturally self-critical in the first place, but they actually will accept the blame, even if it's not due to anything they did. And that's not cool. There's all kinds. There's there's the Don Juan complex, a man that views women as a source of pleasure. 
Well, slow it down, Don Juan. A woman is actually your helper. You're supposed to cultivate her and love her. Not just, you know, go out there and think she's there for your stupid pleasures. She's not. You know, if you actually got involved and really learned who she was, maybe you would realize that she wasn't meant for you and that she actually was smarter than your ass. You know, a lot of dudes don't do that because they think that women are less than them, and they're not, man. I believe in, um, I'm an egalitarian. I believe in equal rights. I'm not, I got nine sisters, man. Come on. And I'm one, I'm the youngest. They used to act like, you know, they were Hulk Hogan and all those wrestlers. My dad couldn't keep a coffee table back in the 80s because they'd be clotheslining me off the couch onto the tables and stuff, you know? All right, maybe not that bad, but still. You know, I I wanted to tell you guys about the hero complex. I think I got a hero complex, you guys, all right? I'm Low Jackson. I am the host of the Only You podcast, and I want to tell you, I'm, I'm your hero, yo. <laughs> this person wants to be the center of attention and will typically create situation where he has to be rescued from someone. So get over there and give me five stars, you guys. Rescue my podcast. I see the numbers since Labor Day. They've been falling off. I've been trying to make it exciting. Come on, get out there and listen. <laughs> I'm trying to make it real and fun. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this, and hopefully you've learned a lot. Um, but remember, getting to know yourself is what the psychological types were about. And that's what Carl Jung was trying to express with that um, with this book, is that once you realize you are enough for you and that no one's ever coming to save you, you will know that you have a purpose in this life. So you're going to follow your dharma, whatever it may be. You're going to have to use your varna, which is your behavior type, to enter your dharma. Like in Sanskrit, I have learned so many different um, viewpoints and angles of the behavior types from doing just this one podcast, which I've been working on this podcast for about four or five weeks now. Because I knew there was so much stuff I needed to incorporate into it. The classic, the romantic, the sane, the chloratic, you know, the intuitive, the stable, compliant, and the dominant, and the ETJF, and EISPJ, or whatever. You know, I had, to, I had to tell you so much stuff. There's just, it's too vast of a plane now since Dr. Young created this book that... I had to do so much research to get you the best information that I could find. And hopefully you've enjoyed this. I've tried to make it exciting. And I know I'm not the most excited person out there, which hopefully in the weeks to come on this third season, I'm telling you you guys are going to love it. I have so much lined up for you in this third season. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sharing me. It is library card sign up month here at the only you, but I do want to say it is also suicide awareness month. And if you know anyone who is even contemplating or talking about ending this precious gift that we have called life, reach out, find the people you need, call 911, do what you got to do, save somebody's life. It's not worth it. I've lost so many people to suicide. It's unreal. And it's one of the most tragic events somebody can actually live through. And it never goes away like they are gone and you didn't expect them to leave and then just boom out of the blue they're no more and that's why september suicide awareness month get them help find them help if you have the knowledge base to get them there you know at some point they're going to appreciate you more than they appreciate the air they breathe because we never know what the person next to us is going through guys go out there and please be kind don't continue this destruction. Please.